0: Welcome to The Heart of the Matter. Um, We're your hosts, Brian and Jay. Um, In The Heart of the Matter, the intent is to share conversations with inspiring, interesting, or controversial people that dive into the core issues or motivations behind their work, their lives, and their worldview. Uh, For a little context for a first conversation, uh, a few months ago, Jay and I were talking, and we realized that we are fortunate enough to know some amazing people. Uh, We know them through work, through events, uh, through friends, etc. And we realized that one of the chief ways that we relate to ideas is through conversation. Um, Which is an art form which, you know, in its natural state is inherently temporary and ephemeral. It's gone after you have it. So we wanted to get these ideas both our own and those of the people around us recorded uh, in some way. Um, and seeing that the sort of avenue for our exploration is most frequently conversation we opted that uh we thought that recording them would be a good first step all right so today yes today we're speaking to Kyle
1: Zamchek one of our most would you say luminary friends in the Austin space <laughs> yes i yes. think that that's fair to welcome, say welcome
0: kyle I'm honored. <laughs> <laughs> uh Kyle is a communications expert. Um, She's a co-founder of uh, several businesses, uh, most recently Listenly, um, which is a company which is basically oriented around improving communication between people providing a platform for improved communication to occur on. Is that a fair, fair summary, Kyle?
2: Yeah, I yeah. think that that gives us a little bit of a
0: summary around yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know, uh, we know we know know each other socially. Um, and I guess we've known each other for about a year now. Um, and I met you, Kyle, at an Authentic Relating uh, event uh, That's here right. in Austin. I forgot that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um,
2: both of you, I met there. Yep, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That was both of
0: our first ever Authentic Relating event. Mm-hmm. Um, and we both ended up with, in long conversations with you, I believe, at that event. Yes. <laughs> there
2: was a lot of people there. Like, there were 45
0: yeah it was a bigger one yeah um if y'all haven't heard of authentic relating that's something else to look up um as something to to kind of put on your list of things to look for um so yeah yeah so we want to ask
1: kyle maybe initially could you just give us a short introduction of yourself and then maybe how you know your journey attracted you to to authentic relating and then from there how that took you to Listenly. (laughs) I don't know. It's a big journey.
2: But yeah, Yeah, I'm like, where do you want to go? Sure. Okay. Um, Interesting. So Mm -hmm. I feel a little bit like my career and professional and personal explorations are very loop-dee-doo. And they all, I find ways for them all to intersect and come back to what that core thing that I love around people and relating. And that's manifested in so many ways. So, you know, it was theater and performance and then, I ended up in technology and executive communication coaching, especially within uh, technology spaces. And then as I started to go back to what are my roots around communication and where do I want to focus? And listen, Lee started to emerge as the project. I actually very strategically decided to infiltrate the circling and authentic relating communities to better understand, okay, given that I want to work on this project, what's already happening here in this community? And I'd known about circling for a while, and I think I'd been to one event prior, but I decided I better like really go and really get what's happening here. Mm-hmm. So that's what brought me. And what did there. you see
1: when you joined uh, authentic relating and circling events
0: well actually if I may ask Mm -hmm. how did you hear about it first what was your first uh Hmm. how did you even know that it was a thing
2: it's a great question well Jonathan like long-term romantic partner and business partner and various projects had already gone to circling here but I'm actually trying to remember how did I first first hear of circling and I can't even really recall it's like one of those things that kind of like came onto the consciousness and you don't really know how you first were exposed to it, but I just was aware that it was a thing. Sure. Hmm. Uh, I think I've ended up in a lot of creative, expressive, embodied scenes of dance or site-specific choreography or areas where there's a lot of creative expression. So I tend to just notice it on the scene and I don't actually know how I was first exposed to it. But I did start doing a lot of personal development work and spaces where you're like sitting deep in emotions and circling you're doing that but in a group format Mm. and in austin here we have specifically circling europe which is one style which is kind of polarizing some people i know like really hate circling europe style of circling because it's Mm. i'm going to do a terrible job explaining it but surrendered leadership is a very different style than some of the other approaches and so I like things that can sometimes be controversial as well Mm. and to expose myself to it and to see, okay, what is this about? And what does it bring up for people? And what are the boundaries of safety? In a lot of these spaces, they call it a container, setting the container of that space. Mm -hmm. And so what are the boundaries of that within the authentic relating world here or the circling world? Mm. And how does that create a space where people either feel empowered to show up or feel disempowered to be their whole selves because they don't feel safe? Mm-hmm. And I love to understand those nuances and boundaries mm-hmm. because I think about them a lot.
1: Yeah. Well, maybe for people who aren't even familiar with what circling is mm-hmm. or it's not even part of their world, just a brief description of what is circling. And yeah. What do you that.
0: actually do? What does it consist of? Like- Besides being in a circle. It right. Happens. I mean, we can. Yeah. I think that anyone listening can guess that it somehow involves circles, groups, um, groups of people. Yeah. <laughs> right. But I think it's interesting to describe uh, for my own, like when I'm describing what authentic relating is to somebody else to actually describe what is done. It's like, well, it's kind of like games that you play with people, but they're games that make you feel... And then I'm like, I trail off and I'm like, well, have you ever been to an acting
2: class?
0: (laughs) Have you ever tried to like think could be really vulnerable with a stranger? Well, it's kind of like that. It's kind of hard to explain exactly what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just curious, Um, what would be your short introduction? mm
2: -hmm. Well, okay, there's two that come to mind. One would be the concept, the actual just concept and expressing what that is, which is you're sitting in a circle and you speak when you're moved to and you don't speak when you're not. Then the other thing is, well, we could just do it right now. (laughs) Like one minute of circling. But I don't know if your listeners want to listen to that. But I mean, that is, you could also just do it. In the
0: European style or the San Francisco style?
2: (laughs) In technical (laughs) circling. Uh, You know, whichever style moves us probably would just be, it's kind of just allowing whatever is alive. And generally the things that you don't feel permission to say out in the world outside of what you might call a container, like mm-hmm. a set space that has a somebody um, holding that space to, to, like there's parameters. You know you're coming for two hours and it's going to be a space. We were doing X kind of work, yeah. which is sitting in a circle and speaking if we move to and not speaking if you are not. Yeah. There's also different styles like birthday circling. So if we birthday circled Jay right now, we would both just try to understand his world, maybe share what it's like to be here with him now. Like... Uh, Jay, I notice now as I've turned to you and I'm looking at your eyes, I feel like a calmness hmm. in me. Okay. Yeah. So that would be like sharing okay. what it's like to be impacted by you. And that would be for birthday circling you.
0: Hmm. Interesting. So that's the kind I've done. Is uh, where birthday circling? Yeah, where it's focused on one person. Um, and, and you might not even know this person. Oh No, most. Well, yeah, maybe if you participate in the same community over time, Uh you'd come to know many people in that community quite well. Yeah. Um, But in this case, it was my first and only experience with this group. And I was with strangers and uh, we circled somebody and then I was circled. And so it was sort of like having like a I call I'll call it like a benign interrogation. Roast. (laughs) Like a roast. (laughs) Like a roast. Yeah. Right. Except. But it's a roast oriented at uh, some people trying to understand you. And like really try to grasp what it is like being you right now. What are you wrestling with? Where is your mind? Like, wow. What what's your experience? Yes. So it's it's very much like a an empathic exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like maybe that's the sort of the theme of a lot of your explorations is mm. explorations of empathic exercises <laughs> or empa- empathic spaces, like spaces yeah. specifically set up. I think you used the word container. Um, and I am a very uh, rudimentary student of theater, um, but something that we try to do in our acting classes is to set up basically you know a zone where we can all dive deep into the characters that we're playing and experience real authentic emotions that are we're manifesting on behalf of the character on behalf of the art and we're expected to be like, be able to be vulnerable there for it to be safe Mm -hmm. um and that is the only other experience that i've had that is similar to what you find in some of these communities of authentic relating and circling and things like that Mm -hmm. Um, wow that's very interesting where like one space is
1: you're you're trying to be yourself the most the most authentically and the other space of acting is you're trying to be somebody else right authentically yeah, but they you... probably involve the same brain functions, the same emotion circuits probably. Yeah. So,
2: hmm. so, I think it's probably no coincidence. So, in my background, I was a conservatory trained actor. So, I did Ooh. do a lot of yes. acting, and I always personally found that there were two kinds of actors. <clears throat> there's there's and I, please feel no, free no, to no, chime no. in. And also anyone who knows a lot more about circling. I hope that they also chime in at some <laughs> point here, and uh-huh. I'm not the only authority on that. Uh, but there is people who were acting because they only wanted to exist in other people and had a lot of trouble sitting within themselves. Mm. And then there were people who could just really tap into all of the feelings within themselves as these different characters because really there's you know, we're all the human experience is just quite relatable when you get down to the nuts and bolts of what somebody's going through. And so there are people who are avoiding their feelings through acting, and then there are people who were really sitting in theirs. Oh, and I found, uh, yes. for me, like doing this work, is the same kind of satisfaction that I derive from doing theater work, mm-hmm. where you are fully permission to embody it, and in fact, it's even more thrilling in a different way. I think. Had I had, I hadn't had that experience of doing acting, I wouldn't feel as comfortable just like really allowing myself to be like, how high, how low can my emotions go in like one second, let alone like five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think once you start doing that with your actual self and start realizing how much you can be feeling in a moment and you're in a space that asks you to do that and awaken that is yeah. like addictive and meditative and... It's all the feelings because all those feelings come up. It's mm-hmm. super juicy. It's like you feel so alive, which I think yeah. acting can also create the space for.
0: Mm-hmm. So how would you, how does the, we have, you know, we talked, mentioned circling, authentic relating, acting, what is and where does active listening fit into mm-hmm. all of this? What is it and how is it part of this kind of world of yeah. this discussion? Mm-hmm.
2: So there's active listening is actually more of like a psychological term. And what we tend to practice is deep listening and listening listening sessions are a specific practice. And I like to think of it, if you know the circling world and birthday circling, it's like a one-on-one birthday circle. What I found is that circling when you're in a big group, uh, there's a lot of different emotions that play. And some people and myself included are not always able to fully feel ourselves when you have so many other feelings going on. What I loved about the practice and we found listening sessions before we ever had a name for them, like quite a few years ago, it is actually allowing you to really deeply, it's, it's a structured conversation where one person is the speaker and one is the listener and you commit to those roles for however long the session is. It's 25 minutes. Then let's say, Brian, you're my listener and I'm the speaker. And it's actually really hard to be the speaker. I think people are, it's way the challenge to actually talk through it and to allow to see what comes up for you, but it's that really dropping in, because you're kind of always, the listener is always asking, you know, and what's happening for you right now, and what are the challenges you're facing right now, or all the different questions that are really coming from their curiosity. So it's an active process of deeply being curious about the other person's world, but the speaker feeling the freedom to take wherever it goes and ride that emotional wave and just uh, let go of whatever comes up for them Mm -hmm. and by, by expressing it. Mm -hmm. And that's what we found is that people often, there's a lot that's happening, but until somebody, but it's kind of like the meta theme of what you guys are doing here, things come up in conversation Mm -hmm. and we found a lot of people we had previously built an AI tool for journaling Mm -hmm. and did like sentiment analysis on journals, but. Only a small percentage of people journal, like myself included. Like if I'm going through a massive breakup or I'm really upset about something, I'll journal. Otherwise, yeah. I'll just share things in conversation. Yeah.
0: My journals are just a record of when I was sad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I feel that. That cannot be your legacy. <laughs> I, I know. we got to have a different legacy, right? Yeah. We've got to record these conversations. But yeah. I always find that when I'm going through a breakup and like I look at the last journal entry and it's like, oh, it was another breakup. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah (laughs) i think probably a lot of people can relate yeah yeah Yeah,
2: i think that's for me what a listening session is this set specific space where you can really drop in and you know you're gonna have that chance versus a circle or authentic relating authentic relating games is great but it doesn't go as deep we wanted something that really created that space i'm curious because you guys have both well you've been to listening labs what was listening labs which is our events open to the public or within organizations or companies where you can have a chance to get exposure to listening sessions like what was it for you what did you expect Uh, walking into it and what did it end up being
1: yeah it was very so it was one part was challenging being the in these structured listening sessions Mm -hmm. where you had to keep asking questions as Mm -hmm. the listener Mm -hmm. to the speaker and it was very revealing to find out you know based on your structure to not ask why questions right Mm -hmm. because those are judgmental questions and that's the biggest thing I took away from that. You can get the same place by asking what and how questions. Mm-hmm. And that allows someone to explore whatever they want to speak about without the sense that they're being judged. And I've, that's the one topic I've really taken and <laughs> like, talked about it to many other people in spaces, even in meetings at work now. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe we don't need to say why. And everyone's like, what is this? You know, we're doing software here. Like, let's just get to the... I'm like, yes, but there are people behind everything that's going on so and why put somebody on the spot, right? And they have to choose and decide and speak up against why they have decided to have a stance. But what and how is disarming and allows you to really open up some layers and get into what's what's fundamental there. And I really enjoyed it. It was very deep, being the listener and being the speaker. And I could see, I mean, it was basically probably as a layman now coming into this, does it feel like a mild therapy service? I feel like as because you are teaching people how to be listeners and the speaker wants to be listened to but not just have a monologue for 30 minutes. They want to be in a conversation that's exploring a topic which I feel like is what a therapist probably mm-hmm. provides. But therapist goes through many years of training whereas a listener, you can get them up to speed in a few days or a few sessions and that can provide... Quite a service, I think, to people who need to be listened to. So I really enjoy that. Now, so glad to see that you. Would you say Listenly is basically a platform to bring listeners and I don't know what you'd call the speakers together, so people can connect and provide service to each other in a way, or.
2: Yeah. I feel like Listenly is like fundamentally right now it's a community and it's a growing community of people who are interested in, in their mental health and or personal development work. It's kind of like different ways that people gravitate to the work and that are looking for a way, either a practice that they can do that can improve their quality of life the same way you know, people will meditate or do yoga or they're mm-hmm. looking for something because they're having a tough situation and they need to like get out of that mental loop that's happening mm-hmm. and to have somebody else like help yeah. guide them there. Yeah. And it's and it's set of, a set of tools. My heart is like warmed that you still remember the what and how questions can lead to more impactful dialogue than why because mm-hmm. why I can read the defensiveness? Mm-hmm. And how applicable being able to listen is when you learn that in a structured way you can take that everywhere in your life Mm -hmm. and for us the goal would be whether you're doing listening sessions through a platform or through like we're playing with all different ways that it could manifest so right now we have like a matchmaking situation happening where Mm -hmm. different people and from all the different cities where listening labs are happening we now we're putting people in touch to do listening sessions with each other Mm -hmm. from like costa rica to san francisco and connecting people uh, for a listening session. so yeah, I don't know if that answered your, your question or not, or what the question was. Yeah.
0: I, I'm curious how, um, uh, you know, as with acting, authentic, relating, all these things, there's a certain um, disposition of person or people that are curious about learning these skills that kind of gravitate towards these. Mm-hmm. And it's been my experience that it's often the people that need it least, or that already have relatively sophisticated communication skills that most frequently gravitate towards these communities and these environments. Mm. And one of the things that I've observed working in technology is that teams desperately in need of clearer guidance on communication or practice in communication are often like the last ones to embrace the idea that it's something that can be learned or should be learned. And I'm curious as you have turned this or as you're in the process of trying to turn this into a product, as you're trying to turn this into a tool that can like, you're like, hey, this is actually value added, what's the case you make?
2: <laughs> Such a good question, and something that we're asking ourselves every day, because it's so true, the community that we're a part of is the one that gravitates to do this, but are, in a lot of ways, the people who doing this work, they already have the tools around them and the people around them who are doing deep listening to them. And the people who would really benefit Are sometimes people who both maybe want therapy but can't afford it. And so we're definitely not trying to replace therapy in any way, but that uh, there's also a lot of stigma, mental health stigma, and how do you bring in opportunities for you to get your needs met when really holding space? And there's been a lot of studies around this and how the effectiveness of a therapy when somebody is self reported around it is actually not around the level of education that the therapist has it's a slew of other things their empathy their verbal fluency and areas that are untapped resources that we all have and the ability to what i called hold space or to be present with another person but we're not taught to leverage that Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of suffering happening and a lot of the suffering is happening outside of the community is like you're saying. And so that's a huge thing that we think about all the time because the people who might want this work, like there's a hundred million people in our country living in federally designated unserved populations for therapy. Like there's, there's so many needs that are happening that aren't being met. And a lot of it I think stems from, How do you bring something into social consciousness and make it normalized to the point where then people who Mm. wouldn't otherwise be attracted to it are willing to try it? And a lot of that comes from trust. Mm. So the first thing that we're looking at is how do you build trust as a company as a community and for me that's why I think I identify first as a community because we have no idea where this will grow. We have no idea will this ever scale, will it ever become something or will we end up with something totally different than where we started because we're trying to focus on like the problem that we really want to solve in our own purpose which we're still always figuring out right now. Yeah. Uh, but it it is really hard and I think that's part of why we've been playing with this terminology of listening mm-hmm. because at least in corporate spaces, communication became a lot more normal for people to say, hey, yeah, this is something I could work on. And that's what's been interesting at Listening Labs versus something like circling or authentic relating. We have a much more diverse crowd who end up showing up and walking through the door because people are like, hey, this seemed like something I could improve on as listening. <coughs> so there's been a lot of a lot of different kinds of folks attracted to the work but have yet to see... Who, how do we really like disseminate it to the larger populations? I have no idea. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I'm, you're probably like aware of like, I guess like the, the culture code books, like the culture code or uh, what's the other, radical candor, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, I guess looking at like the development of like corporate America and like that culture of corporate America, what are the kind of the trends that you see as like, how is this changing over time? Um, and like where would you where do you think it'll be in 10 years 20 years like what what will inter-team dynamics be like or what would you like for them to be like if we're thinking of like a kind of work environment and what are they missing now
2: Mm. I love that question because it gets to the heart to speak to your title it gets to the heart of the matter in a lot of ways for me um but it I think the work that's being done, like I think Radical Candor and Kim Scott's work is such a, beyond what was around 10 years ago. When you talk about leadership, there was a lot of work that it all, uh, how do I put this so that people who are listening could hear it, but like they're, they're, they're set back. Like the person who's describing the leadership skills, there's no real transparency around like, what happens when you screw up and what is the real human experience of being a leader and in radical candor she lays that all out there and puts all of her card, cards on the table and i think with that and brene brown's work around vulnerability like what i see happening and this is i think why i've gotten brought into compliance uh, industry as a whole tube is in, across the board there's push to really look at the whole ecosystem and the human ecosystem happening within organizations and if you look at what's happening with boeing right now it's really interesting to look at all of the wow humans that were aware of what was happening that like the hubris and the flaws that were happening because people weren't sitting really looking at their challenges and then the lives that that like cost because they're working on products that uh, you know, we're all needing to trust when we fly an airplane. And
0: just for context, we're talking about the, I guess, the lack of acknowledgement of the technological flaws that caused those accidents yeah, uh, this and, past year. Yeah. And
2: and actually there was employees who were acknowledging all the flaws and they said, I wouldn't Over let my years. family like fly on this. And a lot of this got ignored. And I think that's where you see a lot of younger companies that I've seen, like startups and communities that are adopting systems like Holacracy and ways to look at a organization not as a hierarchy like an uh, a hierarchy in the way that organizations used to be structured but more like a whole ecosystem and organism where each voice is valued because there's something important that's being communicated through it mm-hmm. and so how do you create space to honor all of those voices without sacrificing like some people might think well that would be really slow and things would move really slowly if you do that but there's beautiful systems out there to support that and i see like a lot of innovation happening there and i think in 10 years from now you'll see the companies that are successful are the ones who know how to thrive with humans Mm -hmm. and know how to thrive in a culture that they've been able to figure out how do you create that culture and that's what i love to do that's the work that i love to go into organizations to do Mm -hmm. is to like be a part of that like heartbeat that gets set in a company Mm -hmm. that builds trust first of the team members and then that grows from there.
1: Yeah, oh, I could see, definitely see that. And I've really latched on this idea of like, how do you grow a community, right? What is the heart of that? And mm-hmm. as you said, the heart of that is trust, firstly. And then after that, you can have you know commitment or um, like one idea I've been playing with is, can you create community around food, mm-hmm. right? It seems so simple, but people show up You know, if people show up and you cook for each other and you learn to trust each other, you learn to show up, I think this forms a basis for now that we're this strong community that, you know, has trust amongst us, we can do something more. So maybe if teams, instead of just being put on a team to work together, you first would need to go to, not do corporate trust exercises, but authentically somehow build strong relationships with people then go work on a product or a challenge or a service. So that'd probably be not <coughs> feasible in the near term, but startups could employ that. Smaller companies could employ that. And I'd like to explore this idea some more, you know?
0: it so, is. It does seem like there are a few kind of offerings of training programs like that, that are, um, I guess, oriented towards helping team members learn about the psychological profile of their members mm. and try to make people more aware of each other's strong points and weaknesses and then come up with a sort of stronger team in general. Um, yeah. It sounds like you looked like you had something else to say, Kyle. When I was <laughs> oh,
2: I was just reminded of something when you were talking, Jay, about... So Google did a study on what makes the highest performing teams within Google, mm-hmm. and they were looking for, what is it? Is it like the smartest, brightest people who scored the highest on their SATs or what is it? And they ended up finding that the number one indicator of a high performing team is psychological safety. It was called the Aristotle study. They published it all online so you can look it up. And what was awesome about that is it basically like confirmed that when you have that trust in a team the impact it can have because no matter what that team is focusing on when you have the psychological safety then people are actually able to sit with the work more and it, at organizations that are lacking that then you're not able to get the feedback loops that you need for something to really be successful
1: hmm. why, why was it called aristotle study or
2: that's a great life? question i don't know why they called it aristotle okay study but i imagine because i've been to do with doing Aristotle's some
1: work over like study on the side of old philosophy, in terms Hmm. of Socrates, Aristotle, Plato, these guys. And as you mentioned this idea about holacracy, if that was the right word for Mm it, I listened into what was the original idea of democracy in Athens. And it was a concept where people actually circulated, citizens circulated through the roles of government. So every month, some civilian would be the judge, and they would be passing judgment. And you think, oh, this sounds crazy. People would, you know, help their friends or make bad judgments. But if you pass judgment on someone, the next month they could be a judge.
2: Mm. So
1: this put everybody in line. But it wasn't a fear-based thing. It was a more, okay, I need to do this role. And I better not hurt somebody else because they could also hurt me. But let me be fair so they can also be fair to me. So maybe it was a more tit-for-tat system. But... Our democracy has really shifted you know, and, and to become a very hierarchical system where people become professionals, professional I'm, politicians, which seems kind of crazy. Yeah,
0: mm. I, um, I'm curious, kind of on that note, actually, um, it seems like there are these communities of, I'm going to call them relatively open-hearted people. Um, <laughs> um, communities of open-hearted people are vulnerable to narcissists, Mm. they're vulnerable to Mm. psychopaths, Uh, they're vulnerable for people who are very good at exploiting a lot of the trust signals of body language and things like that, but then employ those to their own ends. And I think in many cases, uh, companies are that actually, Mm. Um, and potentially large organizations are basically trust communities that have been taken for a ride by somebody who is using this community to kind of build their ego or build up their individual wealth or whatever um, and i'm curious whether like uh this is coming a little bit based off of the work of an author named peter higgins uh Hint-gins, i believe um who writes about, I think he wrote about um, online communities and creating effective online communities specifically for open source projects, like functional open source projects versus ones that get orphaned and die. And also about how communities protect themselves from psychopaths. And his, Mm -hmm. uh, the term psychopath here is being used quite broadly, but people basically who are very, very skilled emotional manipulators um, who... Can plug into a lot of the like body language and like uh, seem really empathetic, uh, but they're kind of basically using deceit and manipulation to kind of build themselves up or or extract from the organization or from the community the things that aid them. And I'm curious if you've thought at all about how communities where trust is an expectation, how do they defend themselves from people that might predate on them? Have you is that something that you've considered or is that an interesting idea for you?
2: Yeah, it's a beautiful question. I think it's it's like at the mi- micro and macro level important, right? For like the individuals to know how to protect ourselves and then also for the communities to know how to protect yourself. And I think um, something that's alive for me when you're saying it, so it's less than maybe as a direct answer to that, but around one thing I see happening a lot in companies is companies will talk about how important communication and vulnerability is to have and you'll have the leaders stand up there and say oh this is really important so we're going to do an initiative but you never actually see them being humbled and being vulnerable and so the community is never permission to do that Mm. and it takes the people who are already in systems of power within a community to allow themselves to really sit in that deep uncomfortable place to then permission others to do that and i think that is what changes like the, it's hard to have power over somebody when you're so empowered to be completely vulnerable. It's this weird uh, mm. space that I found is the more comfortable I felt with vulnerability, the way less anybody can hurt me. It's a very yes. strange thing.
1: Oh yes, so we discussed this earlier about, cause the idea about if you are being vulnerable, it actually should be a strength. Mm. Because if you're not vulnerable, if you are this say macho man, who is never exposing his vulnerability, you're actually really brittle. Mm -hmm. Like you're probably a soft, you know, a sobbing soft heart, you know, and you have a lot of mental issues that you're dealing with, but you need to put up this front because you know, you are not vulnerable. It's like, actually we need the opposite. And you would actually be the opposite. You would be strong and resilient if you learn how to be vulnerable. But, and how, how can we get the idea across that being vulnerable is not
0: weak? Well, I, I guess I'm curious, is that always true? I mean, I think that we see in the technology, sec- uh, technology sector, in particular, a willingness to experiment in ways that are, um, you know, pr- quite adventurous, certainly. Because according- we're privileged also. <laughs> we're privileged, right? And so we, we live in a cultural environment in which a lot of, uh, in which there is already a high degree of safety. Yeah. Um, we're not really afraid for life and limb, yeah. right? Um, but there's certainly a reason why we, as a species, and why because people protect ourselves from our vulnerable parts, because we can't always trust that we will be safe uh, mm-hmm. in showing vulnerabilities. And if we're thinking, of, you know, a very very sort of primordial level, if I, you know, uh, if I sleep out in the open as an animal, um, I might be eaten, right? So like we learn to sleep in places that are safe we learn to kind of uh, show our weaknesses only in places where we feel protected by some other context mm-hmm. and it seems like at companies a lot of at companies and perhaps in are these cultural groups as well like we're trying to create these spaces where it's safe to be vulnerable but that may not be true everywhere right mm. and and specifically I think one area where that's I, I wonder whether it could ever be true is like politics mm. like how, every vulnerability that somebody has in politics is exploited, yeah. right? And yeah. it's very, very cutthroat. Yeah, we're in a um, nasty
1: place nowadays. now.
0: T- but I wonder if it's ever been better. I th- I don't think it ever has. Uh, my hypothesis is that it's it's one of those areas where, like, every av- available advantage that somebody can take over another person, they will. Yeah. Um, but that perhaps is a little bit, uh, like, you know, aside from the point. Like, yeah. I guess the you know, the idea is like, are, in your opinion, Kyle, are all, I guess, areas of our culture um, equally able to have this kind of environment?
2: I mean, I think it, that also gets to the heart of the issue of, you know, there's all the isms within our society, right? And all the ways that your socioeconomic status changes the level of safety that you can have. Because if you don't want to be vulnerable to a boss that could fire you and you have to feed your family of four. Mm-hmm. And not all communities are going to be... What I have tried to emphasize is there's a lot of people who talk about safe spaces and no space is ever going to be safe. So instead I call it like a brave space. Sometimes you'll mm-hmm. be in a community that's empowering you to be brave and sometimes you won't be. And you need to be able to know that you're hierarchy of needs will be met like your core hierarchy of needs and if you don't know if those are going to be met then you those are critical and so i think there is a degree of privilege that comes with having the opportunity to even focus on this personal development work and i've seen that that's the other interesting thing is a lot of people who i see who are doing a lot of this work right now are folks who have already made a lot of money in technology or that's why a lot of it's happening out in the bay area and you see people kind of go through all of these areas where okay, once all your needs are met and you've made money, now you're going to focus on all of this. It's Like
0: work. another level yeah. of Maslow's. Yeah, <laughs> exactly,
1: it is. right yeah. beyond self-actualization. <laughs> right. You know,
0: what do you call it? Remember, well, this is sort of all self-actualization. Yeah, it's like right like, there, like, there. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's like yeah. yeah,
2: and I think that is important to say, and I think that is why I actually initially set out to make Listenly how could we find it? Like the biggest question, I don't think it has to be a digital platform just because I work in tech. I think we ask that to ourselves all the time. Mm. Does it need to be? The goal of it was how do we make this as accessible and scalable as possible? Because I see everyone and we've been doing all this work with all these people who are at a place in their lives where they can be focusing on this work. uh, And there's so much privilege there. And how do you make this way of being heard and listened to, which is really a human need, so that people can like have the tools to feel heard by each other and to go back to something you were saying earlier around, um, that it's actually a strength. It's like, I don't know if everyone probably remembers that moment or if people haven't done this, I hope that they get the chance to when they have somebody that they're really close to is like telling them they did something wrong. And when you realize you can just say, you're right. Like I did. Yeah. I, I did mess that up or yeah. you're right. And rather than defend yourself to yeah. the end, which is to just agree in how overwhelmingly easy that can feel yeah. and the shift that can come from that. Right. And so that is the strength. But then, and then how do you create the way to make that accessible to a much larger group of people? Um, not just that moment, but the ability to be heard, to feel comfortable being heard and listened to. And, and yeah, I think it's an important issue that doesn't get talked about enough and I think should get talked about more. And I want to be really clear in the work That I'm doing about that. Mm -hmm.
1: I think this is what it takes, like letting people know that, you know, besides what we've been told from current culture and current media, that being vulnerable is actually a strength. The more that people get to hear that, the next time they want to be vulnerable, they might be able to draw on that rather than, oh, this macho TV show and culture that I watch shows me that being vulnerable is weak. Oh, wait, but I heard people telling me that Actually being vulnerable could be a strength. And if somebody takes one change, it starts perpetuating and can spread out. So we're doing our thing here. (laughs) I think it's
2: a superpower. I think vulnerability is a superpower. Because when somebody can just totally walk in and be vulnerable, there's a way in which both they can be deeply moved by the world around them, but also like totally comfortable with what is. Mm-hmm. it's like its own state of reaching complete calm it's yeah. like to be totally okay with whatever is which yeah. is being in that state of whatever is alive and be just accepting that for what it is and knowing it will change yeah. i mean it's yeah. right
1: hey we wanted to, you touched on san francisco and here and what would you like what's your feeling on you're in both these spaces often and would something like this be easier listenly would it be easier to get going or launch in San Francisco versus Austin or is Austin a, a better community for that what's been your experience so far
2: All It's right. interesting because I get to go in and host these events that now are happening in San Francisco, New York, uh, Austin, Costa Rica, like to see the communities they're they're just so different and I, I don't think there, I think Austin's an amazing city that's changing and growing. A lot of people are leaving the Bay to come here. And I think it just depends on what do we people want. people are leaving and, here and going
1: to Costa Rica. Yeah, yeah. people are leaving here, <laughs> yeah, they are. That's how this work ended up there. But uh,
2: yeah, I think it's interesting to see, even then in New York, seeing this to how people approach this in New York. Uh, fundamentally, I think it there's a need that's happening for people around community around connection i was talking to you guys earlier about how i've been fortunate to get to know scott from one of the founders of meetup Mm -hmm. who's been amazing and giving us a lot of feedback and came to our event and he created meetup to be a platform so people could meet in person one of the things he shared was that 9-11 he stepped out and realized he didn't know any of his neighbors and he was like oh my god like i how how do i change that yeah and he, and he made the point to us, the work that we're doing is, okay, now that you are in person, which is what Meetup was designed to do, our work is the other end of that. How do you really drop in and do that? And people need that wherever they are in whatever city. So there's obviously like a lot of uh, things happening around startups in San Francisco, but I'm kind of of the mind of wherever there's the need, you find it. And whatever city you're in is going to impact it. And so far, I feel like it's actually being incubated in a lot of cities as we travel mm. through them. I see. Um, and each has its own energy and pulse of the community.
0: Yeah. I'm yeah. curious um, to kind of... We, uh, prior to begin recording, we also had a very brief uh, exchange about um, identity. Um, and, you know, of course, that's like a very big, complicated topic in and of itself. <laughs> but I'm curious um, about your observations, your thoughts on allowing for vulnerability when there are identity differences that maybe are speed bumps or challenges. And this might be gender, like some, you know, experiences that are sort of embodied in gender. Um, This might be uh, race. Uh, It may just be cultural, um, because a lot of uh, more conservative cultures or traditional cultures probably don't have the convention of being uh, very exposed or very open about communicating one's needs on a very like fundamental level, like, and to share kind of a personal anecdote, like, and this into the, it, creeping into the inappropriate, but um, in dating, when dating across cultures, the expectations of like, whether or not I can trust this person to clearly communicate their needs, I have found to be very culturally biased. Mm-hmm. So... If I'm dating somebody who's sort of from, like, my similar, like, white hippie upbringing, like, I can rely on them communicating their needs in a way that I understand. Um, In the cases where I dated somebody from a traditional culture or a culture that it's not my own, and specifically when I was living in China, like, the conventions about how needs are communicated are totally different. And there may not even exist that cultural space to talk about that stuff. They've never been given that voice, that space has never existed in that. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, I think that this is sort of like a boon that hippie culture, and <laughs> for lack of a better word, has given to our culture and has like basically given us a little bit of a, a space that we could be like, actually, this is really useful and here's why. Um, but I'm curious about your thoughts of getting people over that hump that they may, may perceive as related to their own identity, when they're not already predisposed by being part of these mm-hmm. communities, how do you kind of like get people into that space?
2: Mm. Mm-hmm. I think for me right now, what I've been playing a lot with is the idea of how can structure be the shortcut and how can the structure of a conversation or the structure of uh, an event be, do the heavy lifting, like be the weight bearing beam is how I like to think of it. Mm. And there's a lot of, of ways that we limit ourselves because we're as we navigate the world we're needing to be can create the structure of our conversations as we're doing it mm-hmm. and that is taking up a lot of headspace mm-hmm. but when you have a set structure and it's a set conversation and you say and this is why listening sessions themselves are such a simple structure and idea but it can do the heavy lifting for you and so what is the topic that's wanting to be discussed i mean a lot of it for me is both creating spaces where you can ask that question that you're scared to ask, but everyone can sense to that and that you all, so like the first part is setting the values, like so that everyone is clear on the value and the intention of a conversation or of whatever the event. And I think there's so many circumstances that you're describing it in. So I guess you can like scale up or down and there's a book, the art of gathering and things that talk about how do you create an opportunity for like what i'm hearing from you saying i don't know what, what you were saying but an opportunity for that actual meaning meeting meaningful connection in the meeting of the minds mm-hmm. because sometimes there's so many parts of our identities that get in the way of us actually meeting each other mm-hmm. and actually listening to each other because we're so busy defending our own identity mm-hmm. that we never even relax into hearing the other person mm-hmm. i think that's when the structure of something can create the permission that we need in order to fully listen
1: I like that. You know, one thing I came across recently was this idea of reference frames. Everything we do in the world is based on a reference frame, either your cultural reference frame, your social, whatever else. And this could be what you're providing. You're providing some structure that people are entering this space in or this conversation in. And this helps me visualize that we are in this space and this is where we came from. And now that we're here, these are the rules or this is the rules that we learned coming into this space. Let's see where we go now from there. So
0: I think it was in uh, the book culture code where I read about some interesting uh, psychological studies um, that were done where they would design teams. They would have subjects arranged in the teams and they would secretly infiltrate teams with either like a promoter or like a, a, a detractor mm-hmm. um, and like detractors would be kind of like sitting on the edge of the thing, arms crossed, like basically, you know, the negative Nancy of the group, like this can't get done. This isn't worthwhile. This isn't inherently meaningful. And promoters would of course be kind of offering the opposite um, kind of treatment. It's like, no, this is valuable. This is they're promoting buy-in promoting sense of safety and promoting a sense of sort of shared mission. Um, and I think that they identified that um, promoter when a promoter, and sometimes I think the promoters even may have just emerged organically. When there was a really strong promoter as a member of a community, that could overcome the negative power of somebody who's a detractor. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you don't have that person who's really kind of like emphasizing that and creating that space, then somebody without that buy-in can really kind of ruin the, the experience. They can kind of spoil the milk. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you either filter for, for if we're talking about um, these spaces, I mean, a lot of these people are kind of opting in on themselves, but I'm curious, perhaps in the corporate training environment, um, how do we get people to buy in?
2: Hmm. There's something that is interesting for me and what you were just saying, and maybe I kind of like dove into that in my brain, and what it gets to is like the roles that people hold within a community Mm -hmm. and like the group cohesion if you will within a community and I love to look at that in organizations and one thing that you can find is that um, people there will be a community and they'll be like oh this is the problem person and eventually maybe they get fired but then that role comes back Mm -hmm. because it's actually an issue within the community and it's the group almost needs that role in order for the group to thrive sometimes sometimes somebody will leave and the problem will leave with them. But oftentimes they'll find there's actually an issue with the larger group and that we all hold these roles Mm -hmm. in groups. And I've played with this a lot with the community of people I do stuff with. And, And even so much as like, Oh, I'm feeling really nervous. And you're like, Oh, could could you be nervous for me? And if somebody else is nervous, then all of a sudden, like, well, I'm not nervous because you're holding that nervous energy. <laughs> so it. it's like, who's holding which energy? And you can like decide that. And you this can is where really. a little AI
1: robot could do it. Yeah. You <laughs> know, yeah. hey, yeah. can you bring some negativity into this thing? Yeah. You. You. yeah. Just hold it. Yeah.
2: yeah, and and you can see that in relationships. Sometimes like one person would be the one who holds the sadness and one will be the one who holds the joy. That happens in my relationship a lot. Mm-hmm. And it was so off putting when we had my partner hold the joy and I held the sadness and and then all of a sudden he was like oh I get why you can be so annoying you're just wanting me to like express something you know and, and you see these habits and so I, I think playing yeah. with those roles and playing with that within a group and community and maybe you have the detractor like switch roles try on roles or actively take on yeah. a role in a group and see how that changes it and sometimes all you need to like shift the group is to do those role switching or to allow yourself to even see that it's happening
0: interesting yeah so by oh. encouraging people to switch roles they kind of recognize their own they're like oh i yes. have been the detractor this whole time yeah. right and yeah you know, this is the thing
1: with the listener and the speaker yeah. where you actually switch mm-hmm. so you think okay i'm giving all this time to this person probing and listening and being attentive but okay they will also give that time to me mm-hmm. and it's very different when you are on the other side of it so
0: that's yeah. i think really a big part of it that everybody gets to play these different roles right. reciprocity mm-hmm. and um mm-hmm. all right so i'm gonna throw you kind of a hardball here i love it okay the hardball is isn't this all just really self-absorbed
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: i mean aren't we just like a bunch of like privileged loonies on the edge of mm-hmm. our culture being like how can i further self-actualize and like does does this sort of obsession with the self lead anywhere i mean as opposed to like something more material something more collective i'm just curious and this is kind of deliberately antagonistic but you know the i think that the parts that these sort of parts of the culture um would get criticized as being kind of like ooey gooey kind of self-absorbed kind of like almost um navel gazing um and if we're going to pull back the veil on that, what elements of that criticism have a little bit of validity? And what elements of that are really misunderstood, like rooted in misunderstanding? Or, yeah.
2: I think the, the reality is it's complicated because it's both. It's like, yeah, of course. There's a lot of it that's that. I mean, it, there's a reason that it, something may have that stereotype because it is. And then I'm holding that, but I'm also holding the fact of you know, I've facilitated events and somebody came up to us and they said he was maybe 28. And he was like, oh my God, like this two hours changed my life. Like I didn't even realize. And, and it was heartbreaking. It actually like was painful almost to realize like this person had never felt heard. Yeah. Yeah. And what a like heartbreaking thing to feel and how many people are walking around having interactions and never feeling like they can settle into their skin and be heard and I hold both of the things that you're saying to be true because I've seen both of them and I asked myself that because I, I, I it's like who do you want something you're doing to speak to and I like to build things and so who am I speaking to and what am I helping them with? And what is this serving? And like, because at the end of the day, like this is my life and how can I make it meaningful or add meaning? And is that itself like a narcissistic question, you mm-hmm. know? And yeah. so I, I think it's all...
1: It's great that you acknowledge that. I mean, <laughs> because yeah. we're all in this space. I would yeah.
2: hope so. I mean, I think that's... I think yeah. It's... it's. I think the thing is is that we have to be able to hold both and that both are true.
1: hmm Yeah. And this... I think what maybe where you're going from this Brian is maybe it's starting now at the space of you know h- higher socioeconomic demographic can actually explore in this space but there's a need all through society through all levels of socioeconomic uh, demographics right and as I think I read Jeff's article where he mentioned um I, I didn't I did read Jeff's article where he mentioned... Jeff is my
2: business partner for context. Jeff, care. co-founder,
1: yeah. yes, of Or He wrote about, I think, 100 million people express depression in the U.S. And that's one third of the population is living alone or is depressed in some way. And, you know, many of them are holding good blue collar jobs, good white collar jobs, but just coming home to nobody and not knowing their neighbors and going to going through their life in that you know frame and that's kind of sad and it shouldn't be it doesn't need to be but what is it going to take to change that and do you think you're trying in some way to effect some change there
2: very much so. I think, like, if you look at the social trend of loneliness and then that impact on mental health and lifespan, like, that's the scary stuff when you really look at the statistics and how loneliness yes. can have a greater impact and, like, increase your risk of death more than heart disease, more than, like, cigarettes, more than air pollution. And it's... it's, it's if you look at the numbers, it's overwhelming and the impact of loneliness and because it's so quiet and because it's so pervasive and because we've normalized loneliness, especially within like culture for men and like middle-aged men and the rates of suicide. I mean, also if you look at addiction and like there's a great writer and they said the opposite of addiction is not non-addiction, it's connection. Mm -hmm. And so really sitting with that, I mean, I think that is why, there's so much relevance and importance of this work beyond the like very high level self actualization part it's mm-hmm. the trends of loneliness and people living in single hold house like holds that's increased tremendously and yeah. it's because we don't we're not creating that expectation that connection is something that we need as humans that
1: you should curate yeah through your life rather than just your bank account or whatever.
2: And (laughs) as a lot of the world is moving away from it because we have opportunities to have self-checkout lines and all that. That substitutes. Yeah. Uh, Just
1: consume on TV. You come home, you don't need friends. Just watch TV, right? You don't need to go out. Just order in. You can
2: get everything off, you know, Amazon. You don't (laughs) end up interacting with anyone at a store. You're like social interaction. I had
0: a colleague, uh, we were discussing our Christmas breaks, um, and she had taken I think a week off and I asked what she did whether she went anywhere and she said no I didn't leave my apartment Um, and I went down to the gym which is in my apartment complex So I worked out I ordered everything on Uber Eats Um, I literally didn't leave the apartment complex for a week Um, and it was normal for her like that was the normal way of like passing free time for her I think that she does have community to a degree through games Um, so like an online community Um, so maybe that's sort of filling that space for her Mm -hmm. but from my perspective it was jarring it was just like oh wow like this is this is like an envisioned of like a good vacation uh, is to just be kind of isolated and and cooped away Um, and to me that's very dystopian Um, that's very like Blade Runner (laughs) in terms of like a very cold world where everyone's sort of holed up and like you know decadent Apartments alone mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm i curious This is a, another slight sort of deviation But I, th- I think That it's safe to say That we're living through Kind of the second uh, Surge of psychedelic movement um, Of people Beginning to Acknowledge for the first time since the 60s and 70s the therapeutic effects of psilocybin, uh, potentially of LSD, other things. I think there's, I think Dem- uh, Denver, Colorado has even uh, decriminalized psilocybin. Uh, it's begun to be there's begun to be active studies of its use in treating addiction, depression, PTSD, and the evidence thus far is pretty good. Um, and then of course there's like the more like illegal fringes um, or legal in some cases the ayahuasca retreats, um, which people sort of view as therapy. Um, I believe that there's a, uh, I've heard, I can't remember the name of the drug, but uh, one that is administered in Canada and Mexico um, that has been used to treat heroin addiction. And it has relatively successful, uh, high rates of success, but it also has small risk of death, like Mm -hmm. people die from heart attacks during it. Um, I'm curious how you think this kind of other movement, which I think also is about Introspection, like I think a lot of like the benefits of psychedelics come through introspection. They come through almost stepping outside of your box and being like, "Where are my walls?" Like, oh, like I see the things that built my character. I see the aspects of my identity that I either want to embrace or want to let pass. Um, they're pretty powerful tools. Um, How do you feel like that interplays with the kind of techniques of listening of the kind of more people-driven parts of it? Mm -hmm. Is there an interplay?
2: Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, I so resonate with what you're saying. Like Tim Ferriss is totally focused on all of this right now. And I think for me, the intersection is really just about being present Mm -hmm. and like this quest to see what happens when we're present. And I think there's a way that i mean i feel it even in myself like the fear around being present because if we really acknowledge like what's happening to the world like on an environmental on like across all the levels it's like there's like a feeling there's so many feelings and like a feeling of almost shutting down and so yeah it's like how do you create the opportunity to be present with what's happening and i think um the weird thing is, is I call it the listening high. I don't know if she should probably be saying that, but there is a thing that can happen when sure. you're... endorphins. Yeah, you yeah. get this weird, like when I both have done a speaking as a speaker, because I do both sides of a listening session often. If I've been speaking or if I've been listening and you feel this like chemical reaction in your body of just, whoa, like when you've really gone there with somebody. And I think there's a lot of ways that... Um, anything that creates an opportunity for you to get to know yourself in a different way uh, which I think people whether that's through drugs or whatever it is that they're doing or through doing listening it's like challenging their sense of self mm-hmm. and challenging how they know themselves to show up in the world and I think all of that is like a quest that you're seeing happening across the country
0: Thank you so much Kyle mm-hmm. Um As our last uh, question, we're going to go around for all three of us with a request for a recommendation, either an article or a book or a movie or just uh, anything that you have read or seen lately that you would be willing to like, like, yeah, this was useful for me. Um, And I'll go first. Um, So I mentioned briefly that I do acting classes. And one of the things I love about these classes is that they expose me to really good plays. and there is a play uh, by Tennessee Williams uh, called Orpheus Descending, which is just a really, really beautiful story of, like, two misfits in, in a kind of cold cultural space, finding each other and trying to kind of, like, create a way for themselves to exist uh, in, a, in a culture that is quite cruel. Um, so, yeah, it's beautiful. But, yeah, anything else? It doesn't have to be literature or anything like that. Okay.
1: Um, I'm not sure... I do have something on literature because I was recently on a beach vacation. And, mm-hmm. you know, what, what do you do on a beach? Uh, read a book on a hammock, right? That was pretty cool. But so I picked up V.S. Naipaul. He's an old um, I mean, he's, yes, he's expired now. But from he's from the 1930s, an Indian author from Trinidad. And while I was in the Caribbean, I was like, I want some book from somebody here who wrote something in the Caribbean. And he's a very famous author in the travel space. But to see his book was, first of all, interesting to see, like, I was starting to pick up, like, I think errors (laughs) in, I feel, the writing, where I was like, did this never get caught? Or is this a writing style? Or should I just read it the way it is? So after having recently written a book, I'm probably seeing more things more critically now. And like, so this was deliberately left in here, you know, (laughs) like, "Hmm, why was that? So seeing these books now from a different angle, but... uh, What's the name of the book? uh away in the world how um basically his life story on how he went through being a famous author in cambridge and india and the u.s and everywhere so very interesting cool
2: yeah Hmm. Sonny, i'm torn i'm like there's so many directions i could sure. go with that yeah. uh and Weirdly, the one thing that is really come for me is less about like an actual reading. Like I'm a podcast addict and a lot of things, but it's actually less of any of that. And it's more the recommendation is like, think of somebody who makes you like when you think of them, you just like get a warm feeling and to just reach out to them. yes, And like ask them a question that you're actually curious about and Mm -hmm. just and, and to connect. Mm hmm that would be the recommendation because i think I like doing that. the work that i've been doing right now and especially when you're working a startup and you are needing to tap all different people i've ended up reaching out to people from all areas of my life that i wouldn't have otherwise
1: yeah
2: and it's such a rich feeling
1: yeah
2: and then that's how you realize like whoa there's these people you have in your life that are just there yes
1: and this is the real meaning right networks
2: yeah. relationships yeah.
0: So. And that's exactly what you've allowed us to do today, Kyle. Yes. So thank, thank you for letting us get to the heart of the matter. <laughs>
2: <laughs> thank you guys. It was so fun. This yeah. is
0: lovely. Thank you. And Pleasure. good luck in the next endeavors and the travels
2: coming up. <laughs> you too. Today. I can't wait to Great. listen to all of your, all of your different conversations. <laughs> and when
1: this podcast goes live, you can be addicted and our subscribe oh totally oh you know i will be awesome (laughs) awesome thank you everyone this was the first episode of the heart of the matter